This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. This morning, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to do something a, little, a message a little different than I normally do. If you'll allow me to stay with me, I'm going to teach you a little bit and just give you some just real practical information that can help you in your relationships. Now, oftentimes people say, oh, great. Here I am. I'm not married or I'm, you know, I'm single again, not looking to be married, and I get to hear a whole marriage thing. This is not simply about marriage. This is about relationships. All of us are in relationships. Now, of course, I'm going to refer to the fact since Joy and I have been married for 37 years that I've got a lot, we've got a lot to draw on there. But the objective is you will not leave here discouraged. You will not leave here thinking that, you know, Alan and Joy are wonderful and I am not. You're not going to leave here without hope. God always gives us hope. And so we'll leave here today. And we're going to look, but we're going to look at some different information. And I'd like to take the analogy of a garden. If you were going to have a garden, if you looked at your relationships like a garden, you have ground, and then you have weeds, and you have seeds. In fact, this message is entitled Seeds and Weeds. So we're going to talk about some of the wonderful things you can plant and some of the weeds that you want to get out. And again, we share a lot from our own experience, but as you look at relationships, let's look at it this morning like a garden. Now, the first thing we have to understand is when you enter a relationship with anybody, whether that's a friendship, an employee, employer, employer relationship, church relationship, certainly marriage relationship, nobody comes as a blank slate. There are what I call relational influencers that have been in everyone's life. And especially in the context of marriage, everyone has been influenced by their upbringing and by their family, by their upbringing, how you were raised. I was raised in the classic Southern home. I, both my parents were born in Alabama, raised in Georgia. My mother's the last of the great Southern bells. They're from another generation. And in Southern, I grew up in North Carolina, very Southern town, very, it's kind of a smaller Southern town. And, and the, the feel in the, in, in the South, especially years ago, the feel in the South was very genteel, very polite, and we would wait till you were gone to talk about you. <laughs> so we smile at you and say, good, good to see y'all. How y'all doing? Good. How's your mama? Great. Good to see y'all. Then they walk away and someone goes, mm, mm, mm. They, they used to look so good. They have just let themselves go. Bless their heart. If you say bless their heart, then it kind of softens it a bit. Joy grew up in a northern Italian family. Her parents, her grandparents came over from Italy. Her parents were born in New York City. And so when New York City met North Carolina, it was a, a, it was a culture clash. Her family would look at one another and yell. Just right in their face. Not when they're gone, like Southern families, but right there. What is the matter with you? You used to be a nice person. You're a horrible person. You're horrible. You're horrible. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this is, this, this is freaking me out. I didn't know what to do. And so when, when, when Joy, who came from a very strong matriarchal family, met Alan, who came from a very strong patriarchal family, it was definitely a clash because Joy's mom and I, we get along wonderful now, but we sat down about six months into it, and she looked at me across the table. She said, in my family, it's Mikasa, it's Sukasa. In other words, my house is your house. I looked at her back in all my 22 years of wisdom. I said, in my family, you are a guest. 
and the fireworks begin right there. <laughs> Different family relationships. Also, please understand that, that when you, especially in marriage, you do realize this, and all you married people just look straight ahead. When you marry someone, you don't just get them. You get the family too. Where do you think all the mother-in-law jokes came from? <laughs> Speaking of mother-in-law jokes, there was this great uh, safari hunter. <laughs> he was a big game hunter and his wife wanted to go on a safari. And uh, he, so he agreed to take her and she brought her mother along. So he's on a safari down in Botswana with the wife and the mother-in-law and deep into the, to the African bush, the, mother, the, the wife woke up one morning and noticed that her mother was gone. And she began to go out and look all around the area, couldn't find it. Finally came back, woke her husband up. She's panicked. She said, mother is gone. We have to go find her. He gets up, he puts his clothes on, he gets his gun and they walk out into the bush and they come around this, this little bend and they step out into a clearing and there was this chilling sight. The mother was standing face to face with a huge African male lion. It's a monster. And the wife screamed at her husband, what, what are we going to do? And the husband said, nothing. She said, nothing? He said, nothing. That lion got himself into that problem. That lion can get himself out of the problem. Okay, that's all the mother-in-law jokes. And she, family is a part of the experience. No one is, there's a relational influencer. They're relational experiences. If someone's come maybe from a, a situation where they've been burned in a few relationships, that's going to impact. It's going to have. So we always have to keep in mind that no one's a blank slate. And good or bad, it's very easy to get painted with the, with the, with the same brush. I've noticed that even with employees. I'd often have employees who come on staff with us who maybe worked somewhere in the past in another church and had a problem. And it took a while before they stopped painting me with the same brush. It's just simply a function of experience. The last one is this, a relational influencer are faith or fear levels. Faith or fear levels. And by that, I mean this. Those of you who have heard my wife speak and watched her, many people just say, Alan, Joy just seems like she is such a sweet person. And that is actually right. What you see here is, is what you get. That's her. She is very kind and very sweet. And you're thinking, well, why was it so difficult to live with her? It's because I'm so difficult to live with. I, I, I really think that the key was, and Joy and I have talked about it, what was difficult was the amount of fear that she brought into the relationship. And there's so much fear, and fear often puts pressure on the other person. And I've looked at Joy over the years, and, I, and I've said, darling, you are sucking the life out of me. And in truth, and she would, she would admit to that. She was. Because there was so much fear. Would I do this? Would I take care of this? What, was I going to leave? Was I her experience and all the fear that she brought to it. She said, well, what changed? What changed was when Joy began to put her confidence in the Lord instead of putting all the pressure on me. You see, faith takes pressure off the person and shifts it to God. It says this in Romans, the 13th chapter. Look at this. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It said, we're filled with joy and peace in believing. And Joy made a decision one day. She said, I, I'm, she said, I, I'm just, I, I can't look to Alan for everything. That's what they call codependency. She said, I can't live that way. I'm not going to live that way. I'm going to trust the Lord. 
And as she began to do that, and as we both grew in that area, as the fear subsided, as the faith grew, it took pressure off the relationship, and it helped. Now this morning, as we're talking about the garden, that's the ground, let's talk a little bit about the weeds, that there are weeds. If you have weeds in a garden, you got to get rid of them. you got to get rid of them because weeds drain the productivity of a garden. They compete for nutrients. They compete for, weeds will compete for sunlight and space. And so if you ever see anyone with a really good garden, you'll notice there are no weeds in it. And so in our relationships in life, as you look at our relationship, there are weeds. There are relational things that take place in our life that really drain us of a lot of spiritual and emotional strength. And th these were not original. I, the, the John Gottman is an American psychologist who came up with what he calls these four predictors. And these are four predictors of marriage. But my, my point is, if you're not married today, listen, listen to them because these are weeds you can weed out of your life now. You don't even have to be married to weed these out. And so you can begin to weed these things out and begin to take these things out. The, f the first one is, and, and this is, and by the way, uh, Two of these I majored in, and they hurt my relationship. The first one was the weed of criticism. Now, again, you know the best thing to do if, if, you're, if, if you've come maybe with your spouse or you've come with your family, just, just when I'm sharing, just look straight ahead. And I, I share something, you just go, hmm, I, I'm glad everybody's hearing this. I really am. Just smile. No elbows. Elbows are off limits cannot nudge somebody. And so the weed of criticism, I came from a very critical family and, my, I, and I grew up very critical. And so criticism points out the faults and failures and shortcomings of someone else. But what's happening is it sends a message, says to the other person, you are wrong. There's something wrong with you. Criticism comes in the forms of you always, you, you never, you do, you do this. And what criticism can, can bring out is it can bring out oftentimes this, this feeling of fight, I'm going to defend that, or I'm going to flight, I'm going to run away from it. Criticism, and, and I, I, I hate to admit this, guys, I, I am certainly not proud of this. I was critical. I mean, I can remember in my early years sitting in restaurants and just making people laugh by criticizing people around me. Now, that's not, there's certainly nothing kind or godly about that. And when I was married, I was critical of Joe, I was critical of the kids, and it hurt my family. It's one of, the, one of the regrets I have is that I was so critical. Now, again, I, I was raised in a critical home, and you have to be careful. Sometimes the way you were raised, you're even unconscious that you bring it into your relationships. And so the, the weed of criticism. The second one is the weed of defensiveness. Defensiveness is you're defending yourself against an attack of, or criticism or a perceived attack. Now, what happens with someone who is very, very sensitive to criticism or very sensitive to anything negative is everything is an attack. And so if you're just so defensive and everything is, is coming your way and you're just defending, what happens often with people who are defensive is they're pointing the finger at the other person and going, but if you didn't do this and if you didn't do this, and the challenge with defensiveness is it can keep you from looking at an actual problem that exists, a situation that needs to be dealt with and owning your part of it. Now, there's a lot of things. I've told you, there's a lot of things I did wrong in my relationship. I am the first one to tell you that. But there's one thing I did right. And what I do, would do right is I would own things that, that, that if I messed up, I'd own it, and I would apologize. And Joy has often told me, she said, Alan, your willingness to apologize was a lifesaver in our marriage. 
Because if someone is willing to apologize, that at least means there's some awareness there and they felt bad. And I did feel bad. I didn't want to do some of the things that I did. And I just had to really, thank God, joy stayed with me and we were able to grow. So there's defensiveness. The third one is what we call stonewalling. Stonewalling is when the listener shuts down from the conversation. And that can be physically getting up and leaving and walking out of the room or just emotionally. You can just see their eyes glaze over and they shut down. Now, this will not surprise you, but Gottman found that stonewalling occurs most often in men. 80% of the time, the stonewallers are men. And they've shut down, not because we don't care, it's because we are overwhelmed with all the information that's come our way and we're just simply trying to calm ourselves down. And so, it's, it's, and so you're, the, the wife's looking at him going, you don't, it's because you don't care. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm really, I'm just trying to process this information and calm down. Now, I will say this. I think it's better to walk away than to blow up. And so there have been times I would walk away, but I'm not talking about where you play the I'm going to ignore you game. Ever done that? Don't, let's look straight ahead. This is not a, a rhetorical question. The the, I'm going to ignore you game. I get mad at Joy sometimes and, and, and she, would, she would say, and I would just, I would ignore her. I'd give her the silent treatment. You know, she's sitting there in the room. I'd walk through the room <laughs> just letting her know I am not talking to you. And so after a while, Joy figured this game out. And so she, I'd start that. She'd just go in another room. I'm look, so I had to find her to ignore her. <laughs> I'm just, I know I'm the only one, but just in, in, in enjoying my weaknesses. But it, 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 it's one of those things where the idea is you need to be able to communicate. And so stonewalling is usually an opportunity. I've got to be able to at least process this and then get into the, the conversation itself. Here's the last one. And this is the one that John Gottman said is the most damaging, the most toxic to a relationship. And it's unfortunately, it was one that I, I, I did too much of. It's called contempt. Contempt is to show a lack of respect with with a a feeling that conveys dislike for someone else. And that can be verbal or nonverbal. Contempt can be mocking, name-calling, the snorting in disgust, the rolling of the eyes, anything that conveys a disgust with the other person. And so that's damaging. And I, and I did that. I've always been a verbal person. And, and unfortunately, when, I would, when Joy and I would argue, I would go into name-calling or mocking. And it just absolutely hurt our relationship. It hurt it. And so one of the things that, thank God, one of the things that's changed over the years is I've stopped. And so and Joy said, even, even now, Alan, she said, you've changed. So listen, last week I gave you a, a scale of marriages. And I said there's marriages that are struggling There's marriages that are surviving and marriages that are strong. You want to keep moving towards the strong area. I believe with people, it's hard to just say someone is this or someone's that, but I believe there's people who are damaging, people who are difficult, and people who are a dream to be around. The damaging can be verbally or physically. Listen, physically, there is no excuse for beating and for a man beating a wife, wife beating, there is wives who beat husbands. There's no excuse for it. Hitting is wrong. Don't do it. And damage, it can be damaging, but you can verbally damage someone as well. And I I was verbally damaging. 
Thank God I moved from damaging to just difficult. It's an improvement. But difficult can be someone maybe who has a problem holding a job or someone has a problem overspending or someone has a problem with depression. It's not damaging. It's tough to be around. But then you want to move your way towards being a dream. Say, Alan, are you a dream yet? No, but I'm not the nightmare that I used to be. Thank God. Thank God for his grace and his ability to help you grow. Now listen, don't let me leave you in the weeds. If you're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm four for four. Listen, there's... There is still help for you. There is still hope for you. You say, well, my, it's my personality. I'm just this way. No, when you became in Christ, you became a new creation. All things passed away. All things have become new. We have the potential to change. And I am a living testimony of that. I have changed. I am not the same person that I used to be. I still have issues. But thank God in Christ, you can grow past those. So let me give you some when we're going to deal with the weeds, let's get out of the weeds. Let's talk about good seeds. If you're going to have a good garden, you got to plant good seeds. Let me give you four from a very simple passage in the Bible. Listen, the God who made us know what works best for us. And here's the, these seeds to plant aren't seeds that are necessarily going to fix the other person, but they're going to do a difference in you. Found in 1 Thessalonians, it says, make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Four things, four areas. The first one is stop keeping score, stop paying back. Not revenge for, well, they said this to me, I'm going to say this to them. The, the temptation to, for revenge is a flesh temptation. It's in all of us. But the Bible constantly talks about blessing those that curse you. And so that I'm going to get even. That's how road rage starts. You cut me off, I'll cut you off. I'll cut you off again. Next thing you know, people are shooting at one another. It starts that way. It's revenge. But it can happen in a relationship too. Well, you said this. Well, I got something. You really? You're going to say that? I got something for you. How about this? Bam. You think, I win? No, you didn't win. Because they come back. No one wins in the revenge game. And so the Bible said, Look for what is good. I grew up with, with the teaching. I, I grew up in my Baptist church. They, they used to teach us about the golden rule. Remember the golden rule? Jesus said it, Luke 6. He said, do to others as you would like them to do to you. It doesn't say, and they will. It just said, do to them as you would like them to do to you. And so in other words, you, do you like being criticized? Then stop. Do you like being mocked? Then stop. So I'm going to treat you like I want to be treated. It may not come back to me, but remember, I'm planting seeds. And seeds start off really small, but they can grow really big and really powerful. Planting seeds. No revenge, no getting even, no keeping score. You're planting good seeds when you bless and do good to someone else. It'll freak them out, but do good anyway. Here's the second one. Rejoice always. Now he's thinking, oh, what's that got to do with relationships? Here's what has to do with relationships. The better I'm doing on the inside the better things go on the outside. The better I and stronger I am on the inside, the better my relationships are on the outside. That's across the board. That's, that's marriage, that's children, that's business, that's all. If I'm strong on the inside, it makes all the difference in the world. And so the Bible said, rejoice always. Why? Why does God, does God need me to rejoice because he needs me to praise him? 
Our Heavenly Father doesn't need anything. We're the ones that need it. And when we rejoice, it lifts our hearts out of the dull and the doldrums and the junk, and it makes us happier. It really means to express gladness. You say, Alan, I've got nothing to be glad about. If you are saved, you've got something very much to be glad about. If you know you've got a Heavenly Father that loves you, you've got something to be glad about, and we've got something to rejoice. Now, here's what happens. When you, when you begin to rejoice, and you, want, you say, well, that's just not my personality. Paul never said, and those of you who do not have this personality are exempted. <laughs> he just said, rejoice, always. So I can express gladness. And when I begin to express gladness, it does something for me. Look at what it says in Proverbs. It said, for the despondent, every day brings trouble. For the happy heart, life is a continual feast. I want you to think about something just for a minute. Anybody like to take a vacation? Yes. Anybody know how you are about those few, those few days before you go on vacation? You are happy. You're like, in a few minutes, I'm getting out of here and I am happy. And someone drops a problem on you and you go, uh, but I'm going on vacation, so I'm happy. And you, it's the highest productivity week of the year for you because you're going on vacation and whatever problem comes, it's like, bless God, it's not going to get in the way of my vacation. And so we handle it because we're so much happier. And they find when you're happy on the inside, it makes a difference. And, and here's, a, here's the thing. Now, they, they do studies. on they're, they're guys who make a living doing studies on happiness. And they've done studies. Here's what they found. People who are happy have more friends. People who are happy enjoy deeper conversations. They say gossip is a conversation of negative thinkers. Twice as more meaningful conversations happy people have than unhappy. People who are happy have a positive influence on loved ones. How many of you know bad moods can, can jack up a house? Oh, come on. You, you, well, now listen, uh, Joy and I are very different in temperaments. I, I'm a, I've always been hot-tempered. And so I'm, I'm more like a tornado. I appear out of nowhere, I strike, I do a lot of damage, and I jump back up into the clouds. <laughs> Joy is like a hurricane. I can walk in the house and go, uh-oh, uh-oh. You can feel the barometric pressure has dropped and something is rumbling <laughs> offshore. And you know when, and, and there is, there's, there's an adage that says, when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. That is not a scripture. <laughs> when you stop treating it like a, a mama and daddy need to get right and get some gladness going again because it impacts the entire house just Look straight ahead and say amen. Okay, it, uh, it, makes, it makes life easier. They found it erases pain, happier people. It uh, erases pain, deals, eases sadness and grief. Uh, what they find is bad things still happen, but happier people simply handle it better. They asked a lady who was a Holocaust survivor. She lived to be 108. They asked her why she was so happy. She said something very simple. She said, I know bad happened. She said, but I'm looking for the good. When God said rejoice always, it's not because he needs it, it's because we need it. And you can practice planting those seeds. Here's the third one, pray continually. Pray continually doesn't mean you quit your job to stay home and pray. Pray continually means you never quit on praying. So you're praying. Here's what happens when you pray, especially for your loved ones or the important people in your life. When you pray for them, two things happen. One, it opens doors for God to move in their life. And we want to do that. The second thing that happens is it opens your heart towards the ones that you're praying for. It's hard to pray for a while for someone and not have your heart change towards them. So praying 
as wonderful seeds you can plant in your relational garden. Are you having problems with someone? Pray for them. Bless them. Don't curse them. And then here's, here's the last one, just simply expressing gratitude. And everything of thanks. You can give thanks to the Lord. Lord, I, I want to give you thanks and, and come up with some things that you can, you have to really practice this. It doesn't come naturally, but you can practice just being grateful. Just so thankful, Lord, you've been so good to me. Now, here's another thing too. Practice being thankful to the people that you love in your life. Just try this on. Just say, you know, I, I'm thankful that you actually work a job and, and you've kept a job and you help this family. I'm thankful that you're, you're such a glue to this family. I, I appreciate it. You, if you will try, remember we're planting seeds. They don't seem like much, but they're powerful. And you plant seeds of gratitude. Now we've got a whole another group of psychologists that study gratitude. And let me give you some wonderful benefits of gratitude. Opens the door to more relationship. It, it, because you show appreciation can help win friends. It improves physical health. They find grateful people have less pains and aches. It improves psychological health because it reduces toxic emotions and increases happiness. Just simply being practicing being grateful. and enhances empathy, reduces aggression. They say people who are grateful have a tendency to not take revenge as much. It also improves self-esteem because it reduces social comparisons. Time out, side note. If you're going through a difficult time in your relationship, may I offer a suggestion? Just say it. Facebook, you might want to back off on for a little bit because what happens is when you go on Facebook, you find your best friend whose life is awesome and your life is not awesome and her husband is awesome and all her kids are awesome and everything is awesome and you're looking at them going, this is annoying and you cannot be that awesome. And keep in mind that Facebook is brand management, guys. And it's social comparison. So if you're having a difficult time, stay off of Facebook. Just saying. And then the, here's the last one. It increases mental strength. They found that Vietnam vets who expressed gratitude had fewer cases of PTSD. And that for 9-11 survivors, those who had gratitude were more resilient. Now this was very practical today. I, I hope you found some things that can help. I hope you found some, some weeds to weed out and some seeds you can plant. Everyone can plant seeds. Don't expect things to happen overnight. Now, if you stay with me just for a moment, please, I'm, I'm going to ask everyone to be here. I want you to keep in mind this. The master of relationships was Jesus. He was the greatest example. He's the reason. Listen, the reason that I can, I can say I'm no longer a nightmare anymore is not because God just felt sorry for us one day or felt sorry for joy and bless me. The reason I could say, thank God I've come through this is because the Lord will walk with you every step of the way. And if you'll stay with him, you'll grow with him. And if you grow with him, you can begin to outgrow some of these negative traits that have hurt your relationships. You see, Jesus was reviled. People said things to him. They mocked him. They spit in his face. They hit him with their bare hands. He never retaliated. When he was on the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them. He, the joy set before him. He kept, he kept, endured the cross and dealt with difficult things in life. And aren't you glad that he's one who's grateful for us and we can be grateful for today. He's the one that makes all the difference. And if you have a relationship with him, 
If you have a good growing relationship with him, it's like Joe and I shared last week, if you'll stay connected to him, he'll keep you connected to one another. He makes the difference in your life. Will you bow your heads with me just for a moment? I'm going to ask please no one leaving or moving just for the next two minutes. You know, people have come today and some of them come, they, they, they need a moment with the Lord. They really do. And so today we want to give them that opportunity. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's looking around. If you came and said, Alan, I don't, I don't even know if I have a relationship with the Lord. I'm not confident of that, but I want to be. Or maybe you're here and you're like I was. You were raised in church or you've been in church or had a relationship with the Lord and then you got away from him. And you're thinking, now, you know what? I feel so bad. I know I, I know I need to have that relationship again. I don't even know if he'll take me back. And the answer is yes, he will. We're going to say a prayer. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I'm sitting right in your chair, right where you are. We're going to say this prayer. This is a prayer to get to know him or a prayer to come back to him. But you talk about a relationship changer. The relationship changer is a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If that's you that I'm talking to, you say, Alan, I want a relationship or I want to recommit my relationship. Will you pray for me? I'm just going to ask you to do one simple thing. Just quickly slip your hand up across the auditorium and say, Alan, that's me. Would you pray for me? Thank you. Yes, way in the back. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your courage. Anybody else? Say, Alan, would you pray for me? Wonderful. You can put your hands down. We're going to do exactly what we said. Now, maybe you didn't lift your hand, but you wanted to. That's okay. You can pray this prayer with us. It's a prayer from the heart. We're going to pray it with you as a church family. Pray it out loud so you can hear yourself praying. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer. For those who have stepped out of darkness into your marvelous light and for those who have come home. And Father, for the rest of us, thank you that we have the capacity to plant seeds that honor you and bless others, the capacity to take some of the things that have sapped the life out of our relationship and absolutely cut them off. Lord, we're grateful for all you've done. We give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.